Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that we can gather here on this morning and that we celebrate a risen Savior. It makes all the difference. We thank you for the hope. We thank you for the salvation that you have given to each of us and to the whole world because Jesus is alive. And so now as we open your word, we pray you will continue to speak to our hearts. And Lord, we pray you'll encourage us and challenge us. And if there's someone here today who has never given their life to Jesus, never publicly professed him as Savior and Lord, we pray that this will be the moment, the day, that they will do what will bring joy to your heart and be a witness to everybody here. We thank you, Lord, for your power, your grace, and that you were not ashamed to stand up for us. You were not ashamed to go to the cross for us. And we thank you that in your resurrection, you have come to us and shown yourself to this world. And you have your arms open wide to receive all who will believe. We commit this time to you. We thank you now for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's open our Bibles for a few minutes to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we have the Apostle Paul giving one of the great statements of the Christian faith, particularly about the resurrection. And we see how the resurrection is right at the heart of what it means to be Christian. Without the resurrection of Jesus, without his his uh, sacrificial death, his death for you and me and the whole world. And without the resurrection, there really is no Christian faith. It's at the very heart of what we believe. And it's, be, it's because of the, the cross and the resurrection that there is hope. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12. And I'll read through verse 20. And then we're also going to refer to some other verses in this great chapter along the way. Paul said, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Here you have the Apostle Paul writing to a church, the church at Corinth, and as many of the letters of the New Testament, he was trying to deal. God was using Paul as he wrote this to try to deal with problems in that church. And there was a difference of opinion in that church. There were, there were those who were saying there was no resurrection of the dead, period, in general. And Paul here is saying that is not true. 
And in the midst of that, he is talking about how Jesus Christ is the greatest example of one who rose from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first to be resurrected from the dead, never to die again. Now, there had been those who were raised back to life in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. But to die again, Lazarus would be an example of that. But Jesus was resurrected from the dead, conquering death for all of us, never to die again. And through our faith in Jesus, we also someday will experience that glorious resurrection where we are caught up together with the Lord and will forever be with the Lord. We'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Our mortal bodies will take on immortality. And so through Christ, we can experience this glorious, perfect resurrection. Now, what Paul is doing as he talks to the church at Corinth, though, is dealing with a local problem, something they were uh, at odds about, and he's trying to correct that. But in the midst of that, he makes this great theological statement about the resurrection and how central it is to our faith. Why do Christians gather together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday? Why do we worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday? We worship on Sunday because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. We worship the resurrected Christ because that's the heart of our faith. I heard just a few moments ago that uh, Christians in Sri Lanka went to church today to worship the resurrected Christ. There have been like seven or eight terrorist bombs go off and more than 200 Christians killed, more than 500 in churches injured. Why do Christians around the world go and worship the risen Christ even when they know their life could be lost? Because it's the heart of our faith. Because if Jesus is not alive, there is no hope. There's no hope for us. There's no hope for anybody. But he is resurrected from the dead. He is alive. And Paul was one of the great witnesses of that. Remember who Paul was? Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, after Jesus died and rose again, he was one of the leaders trying to stop the spread of the gospel. He was trying to round up Christians and take them to prison and to their death. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. But Saul of Tarsus became the great missionary preacher of the gospel, the Apostle Paul. How did that happen? Because he met the risen Christ. The risen Christ met him. And he was never the same again. What could explain such a radical transformation of a life from being so against the gospel and so much a hater of everything Jesus to becoming the greatest missionary of Christ who has ever lived because he encountered, he met the risen Christ. We could say the same thing about that ragtag group of disciples who were afraid to even be mentioned with Jesus as he was being tried 
and then was crucified, who scattered and ran for the hills. They were afraid to be associated with the name of Jesus. But just a few weeks later, they were preaching the resurrection of Christ in the city square, not worried about what others would say about them. In fact, when they were brought before the same people who sent Jesus to the cross. And they were told, you must stop speaking in this name. What was it that Peter said? We cannot help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. How did Peter, who was afraid to even tell a servant girl that he was among the disciples of Jesus, how did he go from that to this, to saying, we have to speak the name of Jesus? He saw the risen Christ. And all of those disciples, they spent the rest of their lives telling the story of Jesus. Would they have done that for a lie? Would they have done that if Jesus had not been risen from the dead? Of course not. Because unlike, as we mentioned in the early service, unlike all the other religions of the world, Jesus made it a central statement of who he was that he was going to go to the cross and die and then rise again on the third day. He said that before it ever happened. So if that had not come to pass, there's no way these people would have spent their lives preaching and sharing the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to give a body of of moral thought. He didn't just come to be this great philosopher and teacher. He came to live a sinless life and die on the cross to pay for your sins and rise again the third day to conquer sin and death and hell. He came to give eternal life to all who will believe in him. And that's exactly what he did. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the heart of the gospel. Look at verses 3 through 8 of that same chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, meaning some have died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So you see, the early Christian preaching in the first century, at the very beginning, They were preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if we as the the Christian church today, believers in Jesus Christ, if we want to be doing what the early church did, we are going to be sharing and celebrating and praising the name of the risen, resurrected Jesus. So if you encounter people who try to dumb down or water down the gospel by saying, oh, it doesn't matter whether he actually rose from the dead or not, it absolutely matters. If he's not alive, Paul said, as we read a moment ago, your faith is futile. And if in this life only we have hope in Jesus, meaning if he's really not alive, 
And this is all just an exercise in religion that we are carrying on to make ourselves feel good. Then we are of all people the most to be pitied. But you see, that's not what we're doing. We believe that Jesus lives and we know he lives because you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart and he can live in your heart. If you'll open your life to Jesus, if you'll put your faith and your trust in him, he will come into your life, just like he did the Apostle Paul, just like he did Saul of Tarsus, and he turned him into the Apostle Paul. He will change your life and use your life for his glory and for the good of this world. The resurrection of Jesus, you see, gives life to the faith. When Paul talks about your faith, he's not saying it's okay for you to just make it up yourself. You know, we have today, uh, uh, many people are trying to make designer religion, designer faith. They just want to create their own concoction of things. That doesn't work. That's, that's what Paul was referring to when he, he was saying we're to be pitied if we're just making all this up ourselves. People today who are just trying to make up their own faith, they are the most to be pitied because there's no life there. There's no power there. There's no hope there. There's no eternity there. But in the faith, the faith that is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and in his word that he has given us in the faith. When that becomes your faith, when your personal relationship with Jesus becomes real, then your life is revolutionized and you are made alive in Jesus Christ. It is the fact that Jesus is alive that makes the faith a living faith. So what we're doing here today or any time we worship, we're not just going through some ritual or some motion. We are in a relationship with the risen Christ. And because of that, we, we want to worship him. We want to honor him and love him. And we want to lift up his name. And we want to serve him. And it's in that relationship with Christ that everything finds meaning and purpose. And so in your life, I hope today is not just Easter Sunday. I hope today is the day you celebrate your Lord, your Savior, the risen Christ who went to the cross for you, who rose from the dead for you, who's in this very room right now for you, and he will come into your life and save you just like he saved the Apostle Paul. Because he lives, so much is different. We can list a few of the things. We could go on and on. Because Jesus lives, you and I can be saved by the grace of God. Saved is one of those Bible words. What, is it? what do we mean when we say saved? We mean you can be made right with God. You can be forgiven of your sins. A holy God, we're not holy. We're sinners, all of us whether it's one sin or a million sins. We're separated from God because he is other. He is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. We are not. How can that gap ever be bridged in Jesus? Because Jesus took all of our sin in himself 
And on the cross, the Bible says he became sin for us so that we can be forgiven. Our sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so in his life, in his resurrection, we can find forgiveness of our sin because he lives. We can have our sins washed away forever. You see, no matter what the past has been or the present is today, it can be a new beginning because Jesus not only forgives our sin, but the Bible says that he remembers them no more. Now, that's something we can't do. We're never told to forgive and forget in the Bible. We're told to forgive. But what God does, he not only forgives us, he remembers our sin no more. And so if you want to be forgiven of your sin and made right with God, it is available because Jesus has bought and paid for it with his own life. And he offers that to you and to me and to every person today. Because he lives, we can go to heaven when we leave this world. You can go to heaven when this physical life is over because Jesus lives. And you not only can go, you need to know that you're going to heaven. That's why the Bible was given to us. These things are written, we are told, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to be certain of that. And you can know that before you leave here today. If you have any doubt about whether you have received the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you need to make sure about that today. And we're here to help you with that. And I hope that you'll leave here knowing for certain. You can do that simply by asking Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life. And when you do that, that's forever. That's forever. Your, your entrance to heaven is not based on how good you are. Because if that was the standard, we'd never get there. Not one of us. But Jesus, Jesus makes it not only possible, he makes it sure. Because it's in his righteousness that we stand before God when we give our lives to him. Because he lives, the grave has no power over those who believe. As a pastor, I often have to stand at the, the casket with families or at the graveside. And that is a, that's an awful experience to have to go through for people. No matter how much you feel like you're prepared for the loss of a loved one, when it happens, you're just, you're still not really ready for it. But for the Christian, we don't grieve as if there is no hope. When we stand by that graveside, we know that the real person is not in that grave. They're already with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And because Jesus lives, the grave has no power over those who believe. Because he lives, eternal life is our present and future possession. When he saves you and forgives you, you begin to experience eternal life that very moment. And of course, it goes on forever. And someday it's just a, a transition from this world into the Father's house. You step over the threshold into the Father's house and you see him, the Lord Jesus, face to face. Because he lives one day, we too will live with him. In that heavenly city. The place Jesus said I go to prepare a place for you. He'll prepare a place for you in heaven. The moment you give your life to him. 
Because he lives, there is hope, there is help, and there's a home awaiting us in eternity. Because he lives, our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. They're taken away. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees his son. He sees Christ in you. He sees you as a child of God, forgiven, justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We could go on forever with this list until we'd exhausted all the vocabulary, all the languages of men. We could keep talking about the difference it makes because Jesus lives. But when it comes right down to it, it doesn't make any difference for you until he lives in your life. He is alive today. And in practical reality, practical terms, that makes no difference for you until Christ comes into your life. And as we asked this morning, Jesus lives, but do you live? Are you alive? You can be alive spiritually, eternally, not just physically existing, but you can really be alive to God when the risen Christ comes into your life. Timothy Keller said, uh, there's a couple of quotes there on your outline, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And if Jesus is alive, then everything he said is also true. And you need to let his truth, his life, come into your life, control your life so that he can give you life everlasting. Charles Swindoll said, The devil, darkness, and death may swagger and boast. The pangs of life will sting for a while longer. But don't worry. The forces of evil are breathing their last. Not to worry. He's risen. He's risen. And so the victorious, risen Christ, we're in a defeated, uh, we're in a world that is defeated by sin. But Christ has defeated that sin, that evil, that death, that hell. And he's ready to give life. And someday the only thing that will remain is Jesus and all of those who love him. That's all that will remain. So all the things you possess, all the things you have, do you have what is most important, most valuable? Do you have Jesus in your life? Have you given your life to the risen Savior? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you so much that we can call you our Lord, our Savior, because you are alive today. We don't make a pilgrimage somewhere to see where you're buried because we know that you're not in the grave anymore. You're alive. We don't have to 
go through rituals in order to try as our uh, as best we can to try to make ourselves acceptable to you. We just need to throw ourselves on your mercy and grace and receive what you've already accomplished for us. Lord, if there's someone here now who needs to give their life to you, may this be the moment that they're willing to open their heart and say, Jesus, I know I need your help. Please forgive me. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. I give my life to you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And we know, Lord, you will hear that prayer of faith and you will do what you promised. You will save to the uttermost those who believe in you. Lord, perhaps there's someone here who's been a Christian for a long time. They, they asked you into their life a long time ago, but they've never publicly confessed you as Savior and Lord. Lord, may this be the day that they stand up for you the way that you stood up for them. We pray that you'll take that witness and touch the lives of many today. Whatever you want, we pray that your will would be done in these moments. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing our invitation hymn. I'm going to be standing right up front here to receive you, to pray with you. You are among friends here. If God is leading you to make a decision for Jesus right now, don't delay. Don't walk out of here without doing what God has put on your heart to do because you will be glad that you did. And who knows, God might want your witness to change somebody else's life, to touch somebody else's life. So you let God have His way in these moments as we sing together. 321 The Savior is waiting to enter your heart Why don't you let him come in There's nothing 